Here the old gods are dead. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here the old gods aren't dead. This is the Creepy Wee Podcast, I'm Rebecca and this week I'm not actually with Liam. If you tuned into the last episode you would have kent that Liam's taking a wee sabbatical for his exams. So for the next two episodes I'm going to have guests on and today I'm with an artist, my friend, he's called Gambo. <laughs> What's up? So me and Gambo go way, way back, like primary school back and uh, I kind of say this on like every single episode of the podcast that like such and such was my creepy awakening story but like this primary school that we went to was haunted as fuck like genuinely the most rancid vibes on earth <laughs> um, and I think that like really like that really like flipped a switch in me um, obviously I was already a very spooky child but this primary school like so many experiences like I think everybody in our primary class like had something happened to them Um do you hear do you hear any experiences that you can remember in this primary school? I have no individual experiences, but I remember the toilets. The toilets were a dodgy place and there wasn't like any creepy men cutting about them, but I mean like you just go in and it's so dingy and dark and apparent there's a lot of stories like I, I can't remember the specific stories, but like the a fire or somebody dying in the toilets and I'm not gonna lie, you never seen the boys' toilets. Well I assume you never No. Did. Oh, no. honestly, those, it looked like you were in Lord of the Rings. That place was just so <laughs> disgusting. Well, I can't remember a lot about primary school, but I can remember, like, these toilets stank of sulfur, like, oh, proper, like, Dante's Inferno, like, stinking of sulfur. No, even, like, like toilet smell, like, pure sulfuric. But I spoke to my pal Brandon because he's got a photographic memory, and he was like, it was specifically the boys' toilets that were haunted, Either no, there was brilliant. like the the ghost of a Victorian uh, child in the toilets was the rumour. And then I asked one of your teachers about it in primary school and they were saying that when there was developments being done on the building, 
they found a Victorian shoe like in the in the was. Do you remember this story? Mm, not specifically, but I remember about the wee lassie in the boys' toilets because I'd always shite myself when I went. <laughs> <laughs> like, no pun intended, but I was, that wasn't even a joke, but genuinely like, closing that cubicle door, see, opening it again, just sort of dim, looking at the urinals, and it wasn't just because they stank of piss, it was literally, <laughs> there was just a weird atmosphere, you know, the vibes were off, it was... Uh, the vibes were rancid, but this this was a genuine thing, they found a Victorian shoe in the wall, and uh, I thought this was like a unique experience to our primary school, but apparently during loads of Victorian developments, they find shoes in walls and shoes up chimneys and stuff. Because your primary school told us that this shoe must have belonged to like a chimney sweep or something like that. Mm. And it was like very of the era. And I googled it the day just to see like why Victorians put shoes in walls to see if it was a thing. And uh, it was apparently because the shoes and the times were formed to your feet, like they were cobbled and then they were quite rigid leather so they would eventually form to your feet kind of like Birkenstocks um, <laughs> they, they, because they had such a strong attachment to the wearer when they were put in these places and hidden in walls or chimneys or on windowsills and stuff it was basically like the essence of the person that it belonged to would be able to ward off evil spirits so that's why they were put inside walls and by windows and up chimneys and stuff it was to stop evil spirits from entering these gateways into the house and then causing mischief in the home so if you imagine back then they're trying to ward off evil spirits think of the development over time and what other evil spirits are cutting about (laughs) imagine like if this school had rancid vibes in the victorian times when it was built like how how haunted was it when we went like that's all that's all i thought about when i googled that i was like right cool so that building was is obviously just bought built on like a burial site or something like that which Mm -hmm. is true I did Google that as well. I was oh, like, what's the history? What is the history of this area, of Fife in particular? And it's a Bronze Age burial site, like <sighs> that whole area. Jesus. I'm not going to dox us about like where exactly this primary school is situated, but like I, like, I can, I can, I can get receipts. Like there's a, there was like a urn and tomb in that, no, found no that far away from um, this area. Oh, so how mental is that? Like, our, our primary school was basically the Stanley Hotel. See, you always get told <laughs> that it's haunted and you didn't quite believe it, but if you ever went... Did you ever go to the youth on Fridays or Tuesdays and walk about the school when it was dark and half uh, empty? Well, just... that... Brandon said that on a night that he was at the youth club, so, like, all the corridors were kept dark, apart from the ones like, that were used for the youth, uh-huh. and apparently he was walking along the corridor where the toilets were, and there was, like, glass doors along this corridor before mm-hmm. it turned into the toilets. And he said he was, like, walking along and looked into where the toilet corridor was, and there was somebody standing, like, the silhouette of a person, and obviously it was automatic lights, so if there was anybody actually standing there, the lights should have been on. So it was a fucking ghost. Christ. I bet it was uh, that woman writing her letters. Fuck. <laughs> oh, your, um, your primary school head teacher <laughs> got, got stalked of a playground helper. Obviously, that's really not funny, but like, <laughs> she would have been lurking. <laughs> Aye. But like, your, your head teacher was like actually nuts. Like, she looked like Skeletor for He-Man and she was not a very nice woman so like I'm not saying karma's got its kiss or victim blaming or anything like that but <laughs> <laughs> She looked like uh, the drogger when you finish the first mission in Skyrim 
when it comes out the tomb at the end, um, when you just pass the Riverwood or whatever it's called. <laughs> in Bleak Falls Barrow. Yeah, <laughs> Bleak Falls Barrow, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, Anyway, now that we've done like our like soapbox moment about how bad our primary school experience was, um, are you about to tell folk a wee bit about yourself? Of course. So uh, I'm currently an architecture student at Dundee, but I'm making my way being a full-time artist. I'm an abstract painter and I make um, large paintings using oil, acrylic, mixture of different work and yeah, just uh, early in the journey of an artist, you know. What kind of stuff is your work based on? Ah, good question. Uh, my work is sort of a mixture of uh, expressive sort of mark making like Cy Twombly or a Basquiat sort of type stuff and it's also influenced by a lot of history and mythology which is quite relevant since I'm on the Creepy Wee podcast so uh, <laughs> you know booked and busy like, <laughs> picked for a reason and uh, yeah so it's inspired by sort of folk tales, stories and composition and because I make a sort of a mixture of mark making and sort of form work, although it's slightly abstracted, um they both influence each other. Yeah. What um what kind of paintings have you got that are influenced by mythology? Right, so I've got um I was in London uh last month uh, exhibiting a few paintings and I took uh, my painting Siegfried down, which is influenced by the sort of Germanic tale of uh, Siegfried. It's I'm sure it's Sigurd in Norse mythology. And uh, Siegfried was a prince of the Netherlands and um, he slayed a dragon called Fafner and he takes his treasure and Siegfried is known around those parts as a noble hero and he was stabbed in the back through the only vulnerable part on his body um, by people he trusted most and he was stabbed through the back with a spear. Usually Siegfried has this sort of enchantment over him where he can't be damaged but after he took a bath in dragon's blood um, there was a leaf that fell on him and so the blood never soaked over one part and um, so he had this vulnerable spot and his trusted friends who were jealous and a lot of love and romance stuff going on, you know how that goes. So he picked, stabbed him through the back with a spear and it was because Siegfried trusted him. And that relates into my painting through the, the form work that I do. I use a lot of movement in my paintings and they're overlapping and twisting forms and so the form that I've did in this one, it's sort of curling in on itself. It's trying to de- depict anguish and pain and suffering and betrayal and... Um, so it's almost like an abstract image, which is influenced by my feelings at the time. I was go th- going through some stuff, going through some pain, as we all do in life, which sort of related to that, you know, I just got out of a relationship. So I sort of translated that feeling and heart on the canvas through the story of Siegfried, as well as relating it to myself. So the colours in it are quite dark, the composition's very um, lonely, you could say, the form in the middle is depicting Siegfried and it's curling in on itself. It's a lot of whites, it's a lot of texture and reds which sort of relate to blood. And, you know, like, rather than being confident and standing up, having your chest open, your shoulders wide, curling in on yourself mm-hmm. is sort of showing that insecurity or that vulnerability, you know? Um, yeah. And me as an artist, I like to sort of... This is what I said when I was in London. I said to all these old folks who were giving me their cards and asking me questions and judging me for being Scottish, um, I basically sort of danced the line between figurative work um, and mark making and I tried to keep that sort of ambiguity about it, you know what I mean? What, like open for them to interpret rather yeah. than... Yeah, the forms yeah. sort of represent a person or an animal or a being but they're also very um, expressive, there's a lot of texture and I'll, I'll tape a big canvas to my room wall or any wall and I'll just stand up and sort of go crazy on it, wide strokes and stuff. 
like when you're an artist mm-hmm. using your arm and your body for the movement rather than your wrist that sort of pays off when you look at the final product you know yeah it's interesting that story Siegfried it's so similar to Achilles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's like especially we're doing this podcast to and I don't know, like you probably read a lot of mythology too, but like a lot of these stories, especially for Central Europe, and we'll we'll kind of talk about that the day in this episode. They they can't, they're also interwoven. Even like the story, like a man slaying a dragon, like mm-hmm. that sounds so Welsh, and then at the same time it's Norse, but it's got this huge Greek influence. It's just so interesting to see where the like where the movement of man across Europe and up to the north, like how it's went and how the mythology's travelled and how mm-hmm. it's all got interwoven. But it's interesting to see how these stories are, especially how they've moved across art, because especially when you go to more classical museums, like the Louvre and stuff like that, they've got a lot of um, historical paintings and stuff and they're very, very graphic and very, very romantic, but there's no like a lot of feeling in them, I thought. And then mm-hmm. seeing no, works agree. like yours where there's something there's a lot there is a lot of movement and there's a lot of pain, but there's like it's like feelings that are being expressed. And mm-hmm. then obviously there's the names there to let you ken the story, but it's up to you what you make it. Um circling back to mythology and how this is relevant to this episode. The day we're going to be talking about an Arcadian myth called the Knuckle of E. It's essentially this fusion a a myth Orkney, which has been influenced by obviously Norse settlers and Celtic folklore. So we'll come back and hear we chat about the knuckle bee. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
the creature that we're going to be talking about today is called the Knuckle of E. This devil basically comes from Orkney. If you didn't can, Orkney is a set of 70 islands about 10 miles off the coast of Caithness, which is at the northern tip of mainland Scotland. These islands have been settled for about 8,500 years, first by the Neolithic people, then by the Picts, and they were later colonised by Norway in 875. So, very, very ancient population, but if if you think back to like standard grade high school history, you'll ken that Orkney was, when Orkney was settled by Neolithic people, they are the people that built Scarabray. Oh, I remember that. I remember that. Scarabray, very, mm. very iconic. I still need to go. <laughs> Me and I Liam are both obsessed it. with Scarabray. <laughs> it's legendary in, in our high school. Aye, uh, Mr. Walker. <laughs> I wasn't able to say the name exactly, am I? <laughs> <laughs> he is a, he's a great man. He'll be really proud of me in a history podcast <laughs> as badly as I do. I'd uh, be shaking in his wee bits. He'd be buzzing. <laughs> if, uh, if you do ever get the chance to go to Orkney and visit Scarabray, you should do so quite fast because, like the Taj Mahal, it's been eroded away by water. And it will only last forever. Gotta go away. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. No, that was good. But in 1472, so after like 400 years of rule by Norway, Orkney is eventually absorbed into the Kingdom of Scotland following Denmark's failure to pay the dowry of James III's bride, Margaret of Denmark. James III, son of previous episode uh, topic, James II. And due, due to this absorption, Orcadian mythology combines really strong elements in Norse and Scottish and Celtic mythology. So it can't be considered like, this cannot be considered Scottish folklore. Like, this is its own separate mythology. And uh, the impact of the Norse predecessor's arrival on the islands is really considerable. Like, every long ship that comes into Orkney brings settlers, their own distinct language, customs, traditions, beliefs. And these people told tales of giants and dwarves and trolls and loads of other magical creatures but the knuckle of e is the perfect example of norse mythology and scottish mythology combining to create something that is so unforgettable oh yeah i've i've seen it um in like all its different sort of illustrated forms and what i find actually interesting about you talking about uh norse mythology is the knuckle of e being a sort of big horse guy with one eye um, it sort of parallels a lot of norse mythology as well in their use of horses hell in norse mythology so mm-hmm. hell is ruled by a deity or being called hell as well and they rode a mythical horse that had three legs during times of death and disease and especially when you're looking at the influence and how sort of they're parallel to each other and intertwined with the influence on Orkney from um, sort of Norse um, mm-hmm. that sort of relation of the horse being rude during death and disease is sort of quite literal and literally related to the knuckle of e you know what i mean it's it's obviously a sea monster but it's like a centaur like or a centaur with the body of a man growing out the back of a horse it, it comes out of the sea and as as gambo says it spreads evil and disease wherever it goes it blights crops it destroys li- livestock and it kills every man it encounters even though it's a sea spirit it can't endure fresh water and the only way to escape it is to cross a, is to cross a stream or a burn so this is kind of like Scottish Folklore 101. We've spoke about this in the Tamil Chanter episode and we definitely spoke about it in the Scottish Customs episode, but in European folklore, devils and ghouls and witches and stuff can't cross fresh water. Do you have any idea why that is? Not that I can uh, get my mind to. It's rooted in religion, but it's kind of like one of the things where you die came, which came first, because paganism and Christianity are so intertwined. 
but basically it's seen as a barrier that prevents the crossing of unholy beings. Running water has this in the strongest sense because running water is much cleaner and less likely to harbour diseases, so it was seen as really holy. Therefore, witches and devils and monsters like the Knuckle V wouldn't be able to cross it. Mm. And, and my main source for the day, who is Catherine Briggs, who I've stole for many a time, uh, she contains an antique account by Trail Denison. He was an Orkney farmer and folklorist who recorded the account of a local man named Tammy who witnessed the Knuckle of Ye and lived to tell the tale. This guy's walking on a clear and starlit night along a ship of land that went through a freshwater lock in the sea. So it's this narrow strip that he's walking through and he sees something coming towards him. His ears are ringing, his hair standing on end. He comes right away that it's a monster and he kens that he can't go either side of it. Like he's got to keep walking because this is like in the 1800s or no. Don't know what like the swimming was like back then, but he kens that he, the only way he could go is for it. So he's creeping forward and he recognises the thing as the knuckle of V. So as he comes closer, he recognises it as the knuckle of V, the lower part being a great horse, like a Clydesdale, like huge. And uh, it has flapper-like fins on its legs with a mouth about as wide as a whale's. And apparently the breath that was steaming out of its nostrils almost like smoke. And it had one eye on the horse's head that was red as fire. Kind of like eyes howling, like <laughs> Lord of the Rings kind of <laughs> shit. But on its back sat, or rather seemed to grow, the figure of a man who had no legs, but he had huge arms that reached down to the ground at the either side of the horse. And apparently its head was about as big as three feet in diameter. And this head, as the horse walked along, would bob to the side like it was about to roll off. Apparently the thing that was most horribly all was the entire monster was skinless. And the whole surface it only showed red raw flesh in which blood that was black as tar ran through yellow veins and great white sinews thick as horses' tethers twisted and stretched and contracted when the monster moved. That, that like I was doing this research the other night and I literally had to turn my light on like the hang with the head <laughs> creeped me out but like the description of like the the skinless body it kind of reminded me like when Mary Shelley describes Frankenstein's monster because mm. if you if you've ever read Frankenstein the original monster like look, didn't it look like green and like full electricity it looked like a rotted corpse with like sinew and black veins and stuff like that like a flayed man yeah like. It's given Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> but for all his shit in his cell, Tammy remembers what he'd heard of the knuckle of his dislike of fresh water. So he's looking at either side of him and he's like, right, well, there's a lock here, so there's got to be fresh running water near it. So he takes the side of the road nearest to the lock and then the monster gets level with Tammy and the mouth of the horse yawns like a big bottomless pit and Tammy finds its breath was as hot as fire on his face and is beginning to burn him. And the big long arms on the man part like stretch out and swipe at him. So he, he dives into the lock and some of the water like splashes the horse's legs. It burns it and it makes like a monstrous roar that sounds a bit as loud as thunder and it kind of dives and shies there to the other side of the road. So Tammy sees his opportunity and he runs as fast as he can and the knuckle of these like galloping behind him and apparently like the sound that's coming out of the horse and out of the, the man part sounds like the roaring of the sea 
and it's really, really loud in Tammy's ears and he's running and running and running and he jumps, he sees a burn, so he decides to jump across it and obviously the knuckle of you can't cross fresh water, so it takes a swipe at him and it doesn't get him, it gets the bonnet that's on his head and that's all he manages to get. And I just thought that was really interesting because this whole story reminds me of Tam O'Shanter so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like like when Tam jumps out of the burn and the witch grabs the horse, she only manages to get the tail, but in this one he manages to get the bonnet. So the knuckle vegan is like a wild, unearthly yell, a disappointed rage, and Tammy falls senseless at the side of the water and apparently doesn't move for hours until daylight comes and the knuckle v is gone. What I think is interesting as well, because the knuckle v can't tolerate fresh water, is that it doesn't actually come out when it's raining. Oh, I didn't think that. Yeah, rain is fresh water, isn't it? And also, I was reading about it and it was talking about, you were talking about the importance of water and religion and where that sort of stemmed from. And Mm -hmm. we might talk about it later, but the times that the knuckle v comes out, it's during certain times, during seasons. Um, Mm-hmm. You're right. In classic folklore fashion, the knuckle V is confined during the summer months. Mm. It's kind of almost like um, Persephone, like leaving the underworld. Yeah. And when she leaves the underworld, spring comes because her mother's happy and like summer's back. And then when she goes away again and returns to the underworld, it's autumn and winter. And it's kind of similar to the Kaliak, which is a Celtic deity that we spoke about a few episodes ago. She controls winter and the snow and creates mountains and stuff like that but during the summer months she's asleep so during spring and summer it's temperate and the weather's lovely but as soon as Kaliak starts to come back there's storms and there's snow the knuckle v like it kind of it seems like it's a way to explain adverse weather yeah so the knuckle v is confined during the summer months by a deity called the mother of the sea mm-hmm. or the sea mother and uh it's the only thing that can control it. She's an ancient Orcadian spirit and she rules the summer, basically. So she quells the tur- turbulent seawaters around the Northern Isles. Shetland Islanders, particularly fishermen, sought her protection to the devil. But in Orkney, swap that out for the Knuckle V mm. and it's the same thing. But it, it is like a lot of people do consider this to be a way to explain like things that the islanders at the time didn't quite understand and it's kind of similar in like every other mythology or even like on the mainland when it was the Kaliach she was a way to explain how the seasons work a lot of people do put it into that but as you can see it's the perfect fusion of a Celtic water horse which is a Kelpie and I promise that that episode is coming um, <laughs> and then that Norse entity that you were talking about like hell like it is that and it, like obviously like these these places in Scotland are so rife for storytelling that I think it's it actually like kind of ruins the vibe of, like the the quality of these stories when you just put it into all oh, these people didn't understand weather so they put it into like these things I'm like no like <laughs> like maybe they actually like believed in the shit because Tammy certainly did he's not the only one that has uh, recalled this beast you know he's there's academic journals that describe the knuckle of as being the most cruel and malignant of all beings that troubled mankind. And that's from the late 19th century, you know. It's very dismissive, you know. It's always interesting to think, like, what is out there when you sort of look beyond your wee window in Dundee, you know. <laughs> it must annoy people when I'm like, no, this is 100% real. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I mean, the possibility is just as great. 
like it, all right, it's focused when in adverse weather, but the possibility is just as great that that thing does exist the, the bottom of the sea and it comes at, at winter and it bites people's crops and it uh, brings in storms. But I can that you had you had a wee bit of a poem that you wanted to read about this. Oh, for sure. Creature. So I'm going to read this um, poem by a guy called D. I'm not sure if that's his full name. Maybe he just goes by one, mm-hmm. like McLovin. But I'm going to just read this poem. <laughs> um, excuse the accent. As sure as the skin that clings to my ribs and shoulders, as sure as starvation rings my shrinking stomach, I swear, the hazy glow of the evening sun stung and burnt my pupils into the pits of my eyes. As the roadside lapwings sung a delirious song, the crops around me perished in black, the path beneath me beaten and cracked, the ocean aside me whirled and crashed. I was completely alone. Less so, as I ventured ever nearer. So famished and starved was I, my belly let loose a tremendous bellow. But the screech and the whinny that followed cursed through my bones into the marrow itself. And as sure as daylight, as sure as my breath, upon the road ahead of me stood no creature of this earth. The beast's breath, caught in the breeze in all its rank putridity, quelled the pangs of hunger that had gripped me. Ten thousand corpses, hot congealed blood dead bloated carcasses, unearthed fish guts. I thought it a centaur, a dishevelled rider, but no man's legs straddled aside it. On the mare, an eye that burnt as August's sun, thick bulbous tissue and drapes of loose skin, thick blackened blood pulsing through protruding veins. Between stony white cartilage, a fractured skull exposed its brain. Upon its back, half a man, his right arm outstretched, his left dangling, almost touching the floor, the beast snorting and retching before it let out a roar. A skull, four times that of mine, rocked and toppled atop his spine. In terror, I fled as if wind were at my back. I felt the creature's hot breath at my neck, its teeth bared behind me grimaced and cracked, the thud of its gallop nearing and nearing. I prayed to any god that might have been listening. Every last nerve and sinew twisting and turning, every muscle and fibre, tiring and burning. I slipped on the embankment, toppling towards a narrow muddy river. Splintering my hip against the rock dazed, I crawled towards the water. Looking over my shoulder at the bloodied stallion of wizened red flesh, he had not left, and I had not yet succumbed, to its steaming wet breath, which pocked my face with globs of thick spit. Charcoal-like teeth gnawing at lacerated lips, its withered right hand arrowed towards me. And you see with your eyes the wound on my chest that tore through my body like it was the skin of the lake. I, with my last ounce of strength, floundered into a stream, as if drowning were sweeter. And Lord, how sweet it was, as the beast let out a holler from the fresh water's touch. And coughing and spluttering, I heaved myself up to the opposite side of the stream. The abomination that left this mark on my body cantered and screamed. It would not cross. It would not cross. I know by your face you're unmoved. You've heard this story before. Please, God, I beg you, I am starving. Upon my knees, I pray. Reconsider your choice to send me back whence I came. Uh, there's a few uh, There's a few lines in that where... I maybe missed it a word and just went off the top with it. But it, was, it was the sort of interpretation of that. 
Uh, that feels like it might have been based. Uh, oh, it was definitely well, based. Well, it must have been based. Story of Tammy, aye, for sure. Uh, aye, aye, for sure, because I read about it as well. I wrote some notes on, on that as well. I mean, it's always good to hear a wee bit of poetry. Me and Liam are always too scared to read. <laughs> uh, you, wonder, you wonder why? You hear me messing up that same verse like four times? Jeez. <laughs> In post, it'll not be there. <laughs> um... I mean, what what do you think? Do you think this this animal like because obviously Tammy's account, and then when you hear that poem, like it does seem like so frightening, so fright frighteningly real. Mm-hmm. Like, do you do you think that this is like a figment of the people at Orkney's imaginations, or do you think that like this is like a genuine spirit that like does cause plight in the aisles? Well, you see, like if it was one sort of only one mention of it, then maybe it could be like, I this guy's a bit crazy. Not to like gaslight them, but when there's like multiple recounts of it and it start starts to become the culture, obviously it can like pick up and become reality. But I genuinely think I I mean, mm-hmm. who knows at this point? Who knows if it's real? I don't think it's fair to to say it's not though, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd feel like I would need some cold hard evidence <laughs> <laughs> pointing <laughs> pointing to say that it's not real. Aye, exactly. It goes both ways. Aye. I'm, uh, I I love I do love Orkney folklore though and I love like obviously we've spent in this small like section no a season but like the last 10 episodes of the show have had like a really strong focus on the islands of Scotland and obviously there's more to come we'll hear episodes about Scarabray and Kelpies and Selkies and stuff like that but it's so interesting that this area of the world in particular, like these small islands in Scotland, that all their animals are so focused on the sea, like all their gods and deities and stuff are so focused on the sea because obviously that's what dominated life then. And it still does, like obviously the fishing industry is huge. Um, But like I was saying, like people in Shetland prayed to the devil or like made offers to the sea mother to keep the devil away so that they could have like good harvests and stuff like that and I suppose it's like the same for we were talking about in our last episode or a couple of episodes ago we were talking about brunies which are like a a house deity or like they help with in agricultural situations and stuff like that and it's just so interesting like the nuances that these different deities and spirits have like for what's more important like Obviously, the the land is so fertile in Orkney, but like that's not what takes precedent. It's the sea, mm-hmm. so like all their deities are so focused. I just think it's so interesting, and art as well is so dominated by the sea in this part of the world. And obviously, like we very close to the coast here, but like there's nothing like that here because mm-hmm. in like what we had like coal, <laughs> and then before that there was no and these small fishing villages in Fife specifically, like there's no. Like I would love to ken though. If anybody out there kens like any like kind of similar sea creatures that are feel like Fife or other places in Scotland, but like this Norse influence is so strong and it just makes the folklore just that much sweeter and better. Like it's just so interesting to me. Yeah, it's really sort of plays out the significance of water in folklore and mythology, you know? Like for the people in Orkney, water was a source of food and, you know, life. Um, the rain and the, on the crops and the fishing, but it's also like water. It's the unknown, you know. We haven't explored all of it, like you said before, and it's dangerous and it's powerful and it's like that's almost represented by 
the life that water gives, but also the knuckle of V and the death that it brings, you know? It is metal, though. Like, it's genuinely one of the... It is, without a doubt, the scariest monster that I've come across in my research for this podcast. Oh, yeah, for sure. It looks like a creepy pasta. But, I that's an Uncle V, the, the scariest so far. Um, I'm sure I'll manage to trumpet. And I hear your cries, like, I will... When Liam comes back, we'll take LPs. But, Gambo, is there anything you'd want to plug, like... Uh, your Twitter, your Instagram. Sure, sure. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at, at Gambotion. So that's G A M B O C E A N. Same on Twitter, and uh, I've got a website as well, Gambotion.com. Feel free to visit it, give it a wee look. Um, yeah. Buy some NFTs. <laughs> Come on then. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe somebody out there has like bank <laughs> like, cool. can buy an NFT. Aye, for sure. Bye. That's the Creepy Bee Podcast. I'll be back in two weeks with another guest, my lovely friend Holly, but I uh, just mind and check out Gambo on Instagram and Twitter and that. And you can follow us on Instagram at the Creepy Wee Podcast, Twitter at the Creepy Wee Pod, and then our website is uk. and you can submit personal stories, episode requests, all the rest of it there, and we'll get back to you. Right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.